Music, news, entertainment. It's all right here. This is The Kelly Alexander Show. Hey, it's Kelly, and we are very happy to continue our special series celebrating Janet Jackson's induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame by speaking to Grammy Award-winning music producer Jimmy Jam. Jimmy has known Janet for decades and started working with her in the mid-80s on her chart-topping album, Control. Their creative partnership continues to this day, and we can't wait to delve into Jimmy's thoughts as to why Janet is so deserving of being inducted into the Rock Hall. Jimmy, welcome back to The Kelly Alexander Show. Well, thanks for having me back, Kelly. I appreciate it. So I wanted to ask you, where were you when you got the news that your good friend Janet was announced as being a part of the class of 2019 for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Well, I can't divulge things, but I was actually told by a few different sources of people that were kind of, I guess, sort of on the inside. Yeah. And um, uh, a couple of days, I think, before it, it was going to happen. And uh, I obviously was ecstatic. And um, I was, uh, you know, I, but, but I don't want to disclose too much. Before. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> but, but, um, but yeah, pe- people that were kind of on the inside that, that knew uh, some things, and I thought it was really cool. And, um, and, then, I was, uh, and then I texted Janet, uh, you know, when the, actually, I guess the morning of the, the announcement, was made and just, uh, you know, congratulated her and all of that. And it's interesting because people, you know, they, I hear the word overdue used a lot. And I, while I, it's something that I say myself about certain situations, I always have to remember that, you know, things happen the way they're supposed to happen. And I think that a couple of years ago, uh, maybe a few years ago when there was a lot of buzz about, the possibility of her being, uh, you know, nominated, well, well, just the nomination to be on the Hall of Fame, you know, the ballot, much less to actually, you know, receive the induction. There was a lot of disappointment when she, when she didn't get in. And I remember my thought at the time was, there's a reason. There's a, there's something in the timing of things that just kind of happens to me the way it's supposed to happen. And I think the fact that over the, two or three years and, you know, after like unbreakable, she only got stronger. Like her case got stronger to me for the hall of fame, which isn't necessarily everybody's path. I mean, it could have been, you know, she obviously came back with, with that album with a successful tour, but then to have a baby to then go back out, even a more successful tour and then now a single that is huge, you know, it's all of a sudden it, it actually adds evidence to the fact that even though I said I wouldn't say it, it's, it's overdue. Because here's an artist that is, there's not that many people that go to me in the, into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame who are still arguably at the peak of their powers. And Janet is unique in that factor where she is in her career and in her life as a as a as an entertainer as an influencer as a writer as a producer as a performer she is still at the peak of her value so she's going in for a lifetime of work basically but her best work still may be ahead of her and that's such a unique position to be in but to me she's in that position even more now than she would have been you know three years ago if it would have if it would have happened then. And I, th- I just think that's so unique. 
Now, for our chat today, I kind of wanted to bring you back and forth a little bit, just because, again, this award, you know, being in, in inducted is, is obviously a retrospective in a way of obviously all the, of her accomplishments. So if I can yeah. bring you back now a little bit, I just wanted to take you to the first time that you met Janet. Can you remind our audience when that was and what your first thoughts of her were? <laughs> uh, the first time we met Janet, I believe, was 1988. I want to say it was either 1981, 1982. And we met her at the American Music Awards. The time, uh, my band, the time was up for uh, an American Music Award that year. And I remember seeing her backstage and I've seen a million pictures of this, you know, since, but she was wearing this beautiful red dress and just was the most gorgeous um, (laughs) person uh, I think any of us had ever seen in our lives. But even more than that, she was so nice and she was fans of ours. And she said, you know, I love you guys as a group and, you know, all of that. And that it was such an amazing, um, you know, moment to actually meet her. And then after that, she actually came to a time concert with her mom. And I remember she sat in the front row. I think it was at long beach, uh, arena or something. And I remember she was sitting in the front row and the time show I guess you could say it was a little bit risque at, at points. And um, it was so interesting. She was sitting up there and she was loving, you know, kind of everything that was going on. But we were kind of looking at it going like, oh, shoot, her mom's there. Do we want to go through all of our antics that we normally do? Of course we did. But um, that was pretty funny. And then she came back after after the show and said hi and, and that. And so, I mean, what I was always struck with besides her, obviously her, her beauty, um, physical beauty, but also just her heart and her her warmness and her smile and, and all of the things that I think people recognize now who are fans that have not had the chance to meet her, but it comes across just in everything that she does. And I know when you talk to other people that have worked with her and come across her, it's the impression that everybody basically has of her. But yeah, meeting her for the first time was, was absolutely amazing. And you know, we were still new in the industry at that point. Uh, we we didn't know how people were going to be. I mean, because we were we were still so new that we didn't know whether people would be nice or whether you, you know how to approach people and and all of those things that I I think sometimes fans feel. But she just put us at ease right away, and I know we were probably acting like fools <laughs> around her because when the time gets together, we tend to do that. But. I don't know. It, it was a great experience meeting her, and then, you know, obviously it's grown grown from there. Can you remind us uh, as well of how it all came about that you guys were going to work with her on Control? Like, I can only imagine the excitement on both of your parts if she was already a fan of, of you guys and you were a fan of hers. Yeah, so us working together actually came about in, a, in an interesting way. John McClain, who was at the time the A&R uh, director at uh, A&M Records, had, um, was one of the people really instrumental in getting myself and Terry started on our production track. He introduced us to, uh, to uh, Leon Silvers, who back in the early 80s was working for Solar Records and was doing, you know, The Whispers and Shalimar and just a lot of great records. I mean, he was the, the producer at that point in time. And John was one of the people around when we played like our first demo tapes and stuff for, for Leon. And, uh, and John was there and John was kind of like, you know, Hey, these guys got something, you know, they're, you know, they're really good. And, and Leon gave us a chance to get in the studio and actually work on projects. So that was kind of our beginning. So when uh, John was at, you know, got the job at A&M, 
we were the first people he called and he said, Hey, I have some acts that I'd like for you guys to look at. And I remember we did uh, a record with a, a singer named Howard Johnson who had had a big hit with so fine. Um, but we did some work with him and I think there was somebody else that we had done over there. And so there was a, a, a female artist that he wanted us to work with over the, over at A&M uh, records. And we said, yeah, we'd, we'd love to work with her. Well, as it turned out, she didn't necessarily want to work with us. So wow. John called us and said, well, I, you know, I don't even know how to say this, but, you know, she wants to go a different direction, and you know, whatever. And we said, okay, that's fine. And he says, is there anybody else on our roster who you'd like to work with? And we said, well, send the roster. So he sent us, you know, the A&M roster. And Terry and I, I remember we were working at this little studio in the, in the basement of a house uh, that when we moved back to Minneapolis, we were working in this little studio. And um, I remember sitting there and we kind of went down the list and our fingers both stopped at the same name, which was Janet Jackson. And Terry and I looked at each other and we just said, Janet. And he said, yeah. And I said, let's do her. And he said, yeah. And I said, okay, cool. So we called John and we said, okay, John, we, like to do Janet Jackson. And he said, Oh, he said, okay, that's great. He said, um, he said, well, yeah, you want to do like, you know, two songs, three songs. And we said, no, we want to do the whole album. And he was, he was like, you do. <laughs> it's like, yeah. He said, okay. He said, well, let, let me set up a meeting. So the meeting he set up was me and Terry, Joe Jackson, her dad and, uh, and Janet. There might have been a few other people there, but John McLean, of course, but there was a few other people, but that was basically the, the, the meeting. And I, what I remember about the meeting was two things. One was the, out, the record that we had just done was a song called The Heat of Heat by Patty Austin, which was a big hit uh, for Patty. And it was Quincy Jones's label that we did it for. So the song was very lush and it had strings and it was very orchestrated and you know it was a it was a, it was a great song but when i remember they played it and janet said i'm not really sure that's the direction i want to go and we said no 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 we're that's not what we would do with you like we have a whole different concept i mean we're going to make the record sound like the way you sound not the way somebody else's sound i mean that's patty austin that's what you know we're making a record for quincy jones it's like it's got to have that type of sound. So that was, so she was cool. She was like, okay, okay. She said, I just, I just didn't know. And I thought it was great that she said that because it told me as a producer, uh, you know, communication with the artist is super important. And our Terry and my philosophy was always to make the records that the artist wanted to make. So for her to say, yeah, I like that record, but I don't, that's not really what I'm thinking for myself that was a good thing because that showed us that she had a viewpoint and she, she had an idea of what she wanted, maybe not what she wanted to do, but not what she didn't want to do. And that's really important as a, as a kind of a guideline. The second thing was as we were leaving the meeting, Joe pulled us aside and um, cause we had talked about, we were going to, we want to record in Minneapolis and you know, we, we, we want to take you out of the LA environment and, and put you in our environment. So Joe pulled us aside and he said, he said, so you guys are going to record in Minneapolis? And we said, yeah. And he said, uh, Prince is from Minneapolis. And we said, yeah. And he said, 
don't have my daughter sounded like Prince. <laughs> and we just kind of laughed and we said, okay, Mr. Jackson, we're, don't worry. I mean, she's going to have her own sound and, and all of that. So that was kind of the, the, where it all started was really that, that meeting. And, and like I say, John McClain was the one that took that up. But we knew as producers, and, and it, it really hasn't changed to this day, there's certain people that you feel you can do a great record or write a great song or they inspire you to write a great song and you just feel like I know what to do here. And that was the case I think with, with Janet in our, in our minds, we knew that the record she had made while they were good records. And by the way, Leon Silvers, who, you know, as I mentioned at the, toward the beginning actually was the one that one of the people that gave us our, our, our break and got us in the studio in the first place had done her first record or half of the first album along with um, some producers, Renee and Angela, who super talented producers. And, um, but what we thought was missing was the Janet we knew before we met her always had such an attitude about her. And if you go back to like, you know, when you watch the old Jackson's specials and stuff, and she's on there with this attitude. If you, you know, look at any of the stuff, the Sonny and Cher, the, you know, any of those old variety shows, that was the thing about her. And because we re- remembered that, that was the thing we felt was missing from the albums, because they were good albums. Well, we thought that that was missing, sort of that attitude, that feisty attitude that she had. We figured that somewhere inside of her. But also we felt like she was just being given songs to sing rather than actually being a part of the creative process of making the songs. So really in our minds, before we even got started on the record, those were the things we thought we could contribute. And and ultimately that turned into what ended up becoming the control album. When did you know, Jimmy, that... And I, 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 I'm, I'm not sure if this is going to be a hard question because you're friends with her and obviously you've done so many different albums with her. And, and I, I know when you guys are in it, you're in it. But when did you know she was legend? Well, to me, I didn't. Well, well legend. Oh, man, that's a tough one. I mean, I have to I, maybe break it into two parts. I talked about inspiration earlier as a writer and as a producer. I don't think anyone certainly at that point, but probably overall, I mean, I don't think anybody has inspired us like she has. And and when I say that, it's it's just one of those things. I remember when we were working on, um, I think I probably mentioned this before, when we were working on Scream, we had actually come up with six or seven different tracks for Michael when we knew they, they were going to do a duet together. But I, I remember I called Janet and I just said, hey, would you just come to town and she said, why? And I said, I just want you to be here. I just need to look at you. And I just needed her presence in the room. And when she came, that's when we came up with the track for Scream. Because it was like, oh, and the track for Runaway, as it turned out also, uh, which Michael didn't take, which she was happy about. But there's something about being with her that for me it's so inspirational as a writer and as a producer. Like you just see all these possibilities uh, that you can do. And so because of that, in my mind, I can't say legend, but I can just say the most inspirational person that 
you know, as, as far as a muse, I guess you would say, that, that we probably have, mm-hmm. right? So that's the first part of it. I think the legend part of it to me, like the first time it really hit me, was after we had done the Control album, and then it came time for the video. And I remember seeing, they sent us a rough copy of uh, the What Have You Done For Me Lately video. And I remember just watching the song come to life visually, which um, is, you know, sometimes a great experience and sometimes it's not. Sometimes I, I feel like, wow, they really missed what musically this song is trying to say. But Janet's dancing and her personality and her attitude, as we talked about, was so prevalent in that video that I just, at that point, I, I mean, to me, it was like, I don't know about legend, but she was a star at that point. Like to me, when I saw the visual along with the music, I just was like, oh my God. Cause I was like feeling like I was not part of it, but just on the outside as a fan, just looking at it and going, wow, I've never seen anything like this sound like this, look like this, you know, that kind of thing. And then obviously through all that batch of videos back through the control videos, it just seemed like it was possible, but you know, legends not, you know, doesn't happen overnight. So it's about a career and you know, now some 30 years later, it makes all the sense in the world. But as far as sort of the spark of a legend, I guess you could say. Yeah. It, it really happened working with her for the first time because it was so inspiring. And then, like I say, seeing the, the What Have You Done For Me Lately video, which, you know, that attitude and, and all of that came out, the fun, the dancing, the charisma, just all of those things came out. And uh, so I guess that would, that would probably be sort of the first time Mm-hmm. Uh, you will that I kind of looked at it like that, but legend is something that happens over a long period of time. So there was something special there, and we we knew it. We felt it. We saw. We felt it when we saw the name on the piece of paper. Awesome. We felt that there was something there. Yeah, that's so cool. Joining us on the Kelly Alexander Show, Grammy Award winning producer Jimmy Jam. Make sure you follow him on Instagram and Twitter at Flight Time Jam. Jimmy, you and I have never discussed this, but you actually just kind of brought it up before, so I wanted to expand on it. We've never discussed the Design of a Decade uh, album that came out in October of '95. Uh, which obviously was, to that point, a compilation of her her best songs to that point. I wanted to ask you, because I'm assuming you were part of the discussions of how that was all going to come together, obviously, especially because you were involved in Runaway and 24 Play. Do you know how Janet was feeling compiling those songs? Because I can only imagine what it must sort of be like to sit there, because she, you know, she wasn't, she was, what, 30 at that time, I guess, putting the album together? What was it like for her to look back on those last 10 years and go, wow, we did all of this, especially because I know she will never say I, it's always we, but how did she feel about all the songs and all the output creatively that she'd put out? It was interesting because I think, I don't really remember, honestly, that there was a whole lot of, you know, wow, wasn't this great, and that kind of thing. It was more... What I remember, it was much more of a kind of a, a process of, well, we've got to put that on there. We've got to put that on there. It was more like that rather than sort of a, a look back and admire what we had done. Or, you know, I don't really feel like we, we really felt that way. I think maybe it was because we were concentrating on, uh, you know, Runaway and 24 Play and getting those songs recorded and making sure that we had, you know, Runaway, which she loved, just the, the kind of funness of the track and everything. And then 24 Play, which was very 
you know, sophisticated and, and sexy and, and that, which, you know, very much embodied when you think about Janet in many ways. I mean, you think about the fun and uh, those types of songs, but you also think about the sensuousness of, of the songs, the ballads and, and that that she does. And so for us, it was kind of like, I remember we did the two songs and then we had like ideas to do more songs, but it was like, oh, no, no, it's not a full album. It's just, you know, the design of a decade. So it's like, okay, that's cool. I do remember, um, I, I think I had a hand in picking the um, album cover for that. And there were various album covers, I know, for the different versions around the world and stuff. But the one where she's kind of just kind of laying there and I, I thought that that was a, such a cool image and you know it was almost like her listening to herself and actually liking it because she never likes when she hears herself she's always like oh that's okay i don't mind that it's never gonna give herself a compliment about oh i sound great on that i never heard her say that so um but i it just kind of felt like that to me um so it was it was a fun time to actually do it it was just kind of felt like shoot only two songs (laughs) come on let's do some let's do some more stuff were you um because like when uh because runaway became its own hit right which i don't know happens a lot with people who put out or artists i should say that put out kind of compilation albums it's kind of like oh here's all my hits here's a filler song but runaway and 24 play definitely not filler songs especially i would say runaway because it obviously charted did extremely well the video was done for it the whole thing so what's your thoughts on runaway and and i guess like the fact that it did become such a because it's such a fan favorite like it's such a good feel good song and and i think it's one of her important songs in her repertoire well, Runaway, like I said earlier, was, you know, it was it was in the batch of songs for the Michael Janet duet. And it was actually the one that both Janet and I felt was the one. Because we thought that because of the playfulness of it and the kind of, uh, you know, world music feel with just the percussion and, and those types of things, we thought it sounded very international in, in, in its sonics. So we thought that would be the one. But I remember her saying, I hope he doesn't pick this one because I want this one for my album. <laughs> and, um, and when we did the track to Scream, she said, that's the one he's going to like. And I said, how do you know? And she said, because I, I know my brother. And so she was absolutely right when we went and played everything for Michael. I remember, I think it was, I think that and Runaway were actually his two favorites, but Scream was the one that that he picked or what ended up becoming Scream. And I remember Janet looking at me when he picked, when he picked Scream with a look of, I told you so, and also a look of, oh, I'm glad he didn't pick Runaway, (laughs) (laughs) or what ended up becoming Runaway. So, um but you know, so for us, it was it was very cool to do on the song. And as somebody mentioned uh, to me, which I didn't even remember, but somebody picked up that there is actually a Michael voice sample on Runaway, and there actually is. And uh, somebody before asked me, they said, "Hey, why is there a Michael voice sample on there?" And I said, "Because originally the song was going to be a duet between the two. And we thought that was a kind of a cool percussive element to have in the song. But we never took it out when Janet did it. We just left it in there because it all just kind of fit. Uh, and, in there. and and once again, listen, a lot of times the fans know more or remember more than we do as we're making the records. And when they hear them and then they'll 
ask a question about a certain sound or a you know, a certain lyric or a certain something. And I'll go, I don't even remember that. But that was one of those cases where, yeah, Michael is actually a little bit of a part of uh, of uh, Runaway. But uh, but once again, I mean, once and, and the cool thing is we do the song. We love the way the song turned out. But then once again, she does the video and then takes it to a whole nother dimension, you know, uh, with the dancing, with the scenes, with with the whole thing. And uh, I thought that was a beautifully done video. And you're right. The fact that there was actually a hit, like another hit from a greatest hits record was pretty unique at the time. Um, but, you know, once again, in, in looking back at the totality of, of Janet's career, I mean, those are the kinds of breakthrough um, and, and, and different types of things that she's done. That, that actually make up her uh, Hall of Fame career. Now, I want to fast forward you to uh, 2004 and the Demita Joe album. And kind of like, I, I obviously, every time you and I talk, it's always mm-hmm. about positivity. So that's where I'm going to keep it. But I did just want to get, especially because I know you and I are both such fierce supporters of Janet. I want to know your thoughts on what I call the Super Bowl fiasco. And if you think that did play a part in A, why Demita Joe didn't do more things than it should have, because the album was fantastic as far as I'm concerned. And then also, if you think that played a part in why it took a while for Janet to get um, that first nomination, or just to be nominated, I should say, for the Rock Hall, because she was eligible as of 2007. And for all of us, I think, that are fans of her, she should have been in for a shot. Right. Well, yes. I mean, obviously, the Super Bowl was, you know, the, the kind of the result from it um, with not being able to uh, be on the Grammys. Um, obviously, uh, I remember back when uh, we were working on Demita Joe, and you know the whole idea of you know something sensational driving you to buy a record. You know, and if you believe that, I mean, we had we had never done anything, uh, you know, in like that, you know, uh, to drive attention to a record. But the interesting thing was, and I, I remember telling people this back in the day when it happened, it would have been different if the next day we had released the record, then you could probably say, oh, was it a publicity stunt to help sell records, which we obviously didn't need to do at that point. But let's say we had thought of to do that. Well, then the record would have had to come out the next day. Well, we're still in the studio working the record. I mean, literally, she stopped to do the Super Bowl, and then the plan was to just return to the studio and just keep working on the record. Like, the two things had nothing to do with each other. So, unfortunately, the result of that and her being, you know, blacklisted by MTV, by radio, a whole lot of things, um, there's been, I know, a lot of connection now made, uh, whether true or not true, I, I don't really know, but certainly there's been a lot of connection to uh, the Les Moonves angle on that with the Grammys being a CBS show yeah, and, uh, you know, the things that, that obviously Les is going through right now. So, yeah, it definitely was not the ideal climate, if you will, to put out a record. So, yes, it absolutely had an effect on not only the album, but just on her ability to promote the album, the ability to, yeah, you could make videos, but you couldn't get played on MTV or banned on MTV, so on and so forth. But ultimately, as 
you know, she rose above it. Yeah. Continued to do her work, continued to do. And so it's like one of those things where people go back now and listen to the record. And, and I think, as you mentioned, the fans, uh, there's big fans of that album. And they realize that a lot of it was kind of the climate that was there. It's kind of like you, I don't know whether it's a good analogy or not, but it's, let's say you, you go to a favorite beach or you, you, you know, you go to a place you really like, like a beach and it's raining. So the climate for being at the beach isn't the right thing. Doesn't mean the beach isn't beautiful, but it's man, it's raining. But now you go back to that same beach 10 years later or, or however long you revisit it. And it's a beautiful sunny day. And you go, Oh man, I, I love this. I love this beach because your experience of being there now, it's the right climate. It's the way that you should be experiencing it. So I'm not sure whether that's a good analogy or not, but to me, a lot of times in careers, particularly when you talk about career, you, you, t- you know, with Janet, you know, you're talking about, you know, since she was, she was you know, eight years old or, or whatever, when she first was appearing on the, on the talk shows and the, uh, and the variety shows with her brothers and those types of things, you know, you talk about a career, there's going to be ups and there's going to be downs and there's going to be downs that are not controllable. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's circumstances that are beyond your control and it's how you rise above those things that to me make it and define you. And to me, uh, Janet is a, to me, a stronger artist, a stronger person because of those setbacks because of those disappointments, because of that adversity, um, to me, coming through that is an example of survival, and, and it's an example of perseverance, and it's an example of all the positive things that we know can happen if you, you know, strive for excellence. And it also sends a message, uh, I think a very powerful message, especially in the um, in this era of of Me Too and Times Up, that as a woman, um, you still will be able to survive and persevere. Um, and, and I think that's so inspirational. I think it's inspirational to all people, but as it should be, it should be very inspirational to women who have gone through their own version of a of a Super Bowl uh, fiasco or you know, whatever those things in your life are that you keep striving. And to me, Janet is so inspirational. So those things had to happen to her for her to be where she's at now. And once again, it just solidifies why Hall of Fame is to me, you know, it's a great honor, but it only scratches, truly scratches the surface to me of, of her recognizing her impact in, in society and certainly in music. Before I get to the next question, Jimmy, I did want to just say on behalf of like fans and music fans and, and women in, in the industry, um, ra- whether it's music industry or, or entertainment industry as a whole, because I'm a part of you know the radio industry, I wish there was more yeah. men like you. I really do, because uh, it's so great to have you know someone in your position who has had such success and has such knowledge. And I love how much you support women and, and their advancement and, and the fact that we are just as equal as, as men out there in our creative endeavors and business endeavors and all that sort of stuff. So on behalf of women everywhere, thank you. I just wish there was more people like you. And I hope I hope a lot of guys uh, look up to you <laughs> because we need more of you out there. Listen, we wouldn't be the men we are without the women in our lives. And it's as simple as that. So we, you know, we respect and we, you know, it's interesting with Janet because there was a sense, I, I felt it back when we did the first, when we did the control record. And there was this sense that I remember from reading 
you know, whether it was reviews of the record or whatever it was, that somehow we were, you know, Jam and Lewis, you know, we were pretty high up on the pedestal at that point in time. And it was like we were uh, somehow we were like uh, Svengali's or, or whatever you want to call it to, to Janet. And we were like, well, no, it was a team effort. And obviously, if I'm singing, what have you done for me lately? It's not a hit. So because uh, nobody wants to hear me sing. So <laughs> it's got to be it's, it's a it's a it's a team thing. And I said, and she's involved in the creative process. We're not I mean, we did. She already had done two albums where people had just given her songs to sing. When we included her in the creative process, that's when everything blew up for her. So then why would the perception be that we somehow created it as a team? We created it. Um, and that was to me important to get that, that message out. But it also now in hindsight, looking at where we're at now in society, yes, there was this kind of prejudgment that girls just show up and sing and the guys do the work or, or whatever that was. And it's like, so not true. And she in the mid eighties was already proving that to be the case. And when people, I know women to this day that have told me the fact of seeing her name as a producer and as a songwriter on those songs, what that meant to them, because all of a sudden someone who didn't sing or whatever, but was interested in writing or producing or doing those or in, even engineering and doing those things, what that meant to see those names and to know that, wait, there's artists that actually do that. So for us, it, it wasn't any sort of trendy thing or any sort of thing like that. It was just the right thing to do. She, she had the musical chops and obviously had grown up in the greatest musical family ever. And she had all of that. So to not use that and be like, oh, it's just going to be Jam and Lewis and whatever w would have been so stupid on our part. And it was like the more she got involved in the creative process, the more successful the records got and the more successful her career became. So to me, she's just such a, such a great example of that. And we're just the lucky recipients of, of it, me, me and Terry, to be a part of it. But all we really did was just let her know that whatever she's thinking, that's what we're going to write about. That's what we're going to do. And that's what excited her. And that's what made her go, okay, then I want to talk about this and I want to talk about that. And let's, you know, that's what it was. So that, anyway, that's, that's my, my kind of my analysis of that thing. But to me, that was really important for her to do that. And of course, it, it took a long time to, I guess for her to prove that, no, she actually is doing it. But I think that's the women dilemma because women have always been doing it, um, but maybe haven't gotten the recognition or the respect. And I think that is, that is changing and it, and it should, but she's one of the people that to me broke a lot of barriers, uh, you know, in that way. And for, you know, if you just took that as a reason, her influence and her inspiration that would be enough to, for me to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. We can forget about the, you know, hundreds of hits, you know, or whatever. But uh, just that much of what she is as a person to me is so important also and why the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame should be so proud to have her as a, as a member.
Something I've always wanted to ask you, and you just kind of brought it up by saying influence and inspiration, because I'm sure I've never, you know, been standing beside you, but I'm sure it happens time and time again that when you're at a music industry event or whatever, you probably have a bunch of younger artists coming up to you, knowing that you've worked with Janet, produced with Janet, um, and saying how much that she has influenced them. So I'm just wondering, like, what your thoughts are on the influence of, like, like these younger artists. Like, I know, for example, Britney Spears uh, said when she was younger how much Janet influenced her. We know Beyonce. We know Destiny's Child. Uh, I think Katy Perry has even mentioned it before so and even I think probably um, I've fallen in love with uh, her I think she's awesome I know she's been influenced by Janet so what does it feel like when you have these yep. younger artists coming up um, and saying what they do about Janet well it feels great because to me you know inspiration and I've used the word a lot today it's, it's such an important thing I mean people need to see examples of, of things that inspire them of people that inspire them so that they can do things that maybe they didn't recognize they could do, or maybe didn't even know those things were available to do. And that's the impact that Janet had on, you know, particularly, and you mentioned Beyonce, you know, I was telling my uh, son, I I have a son, Max, who's um, very musical. I was telling him that, you know, the whole idea of what Beyonce does, which is incredible, obviously, you know, music can be you know, on a whole different level and, and stage staging can be on a whole different level. And the fact that you can do uh, movies and you can do television and you can do, you know, endorsements and you can do all of those things uh, that she does so well and balances so well that Janet did those things. And I said, and before her, Diana Ross did those things. So if you're looking back and you're going, I, I was speaking to somebody because Motown's anniversary, 60th anniversary is, is this year, if I'm not mistaken. And so it's like one of those things where I, I always looked at Dinah Ross and I was like, man, she's in commercials and she's all of that before I knew I was going to be doing music. But I remember the influence of that, of seeing those beautiful African-American images on television and in films and all of that. And then watching Janet, and and I've told Janet a lot of times when the thing to me that I thought she had in, in common with Diana Ross was her ability, her ability to sing melodies that everybody wanted to sing along to. And uh, in a different way than a, let's say, a Whitney Houston, who you, you could sing along with her, but you couldn't sing like her, you know. Mm-hmm. But Janet, you could sing like Janet, and you could sing those melodies. But a lot of times the inspiration... And if you notice some of the samples and stuff over the years that we would use would be Motown samples. And it would be, you know, like someday we'll be together, Diana Ross and the Supremes, because those kinds of melodies to me were what Janet sang so beautifully and made the whole world sing along with her. And so to me, that kind of inspiration is, is so important for people to watch somebody do that. And if you're Britney Spears all the way to her, as you mentioned, and it's interesting because her is a huge Janet fan. Yeah. Um, but interest, but interestingly enough, Janet told me that when she was pregnant, her, uh, and the, the record she had out at that point, that album that she had out was the thing she would listen to that oh, would wow. just keep her relaxed and keep her positive and all of that. And I remember telling, I told her that, but then when her and Janet talked 
<laughs> I said to Janet, I said, did you tell her the story you told me? And she said, no, I didn't tell her. I said, come on, Janet. I said, I, I, I said, come on. I said, you guys got to get back together so you can, you can tell her the story you, you told me. Cause I related it to her. But anyway, those kinds of inspirational moments are what's to me so important and what drive people forward. So to have, you know, everybody you mentioned from, from Brittany to her. And like I said, for me, Diana Ross was a huge, huge influence on me that I thought Janet really has and continues to carry that torch of the songs that everybody wants to sing along with because her joy in singing them and her simplicity of singing them. And it's funny because people think that those songs, sometimes those songs are easy to sing, until you hear them, like you go to a karaoke place sometimes yeah. and listen to people try to sing Janet's songs. <laughs> it's a mess. <laughs> they can't do it. You know, it's like those songs are not easy to sing. She makes them sound easy, you know, because she's so talented. Which is true. And this is something I don't think I've ever asked you before. So I really want to do it because of her upcoming induction. When I say the name Janet Jackson, what immediately springs to mind for you, Jimmy? Honestly, her, her smile. <laughs> more than more than anything. I mean, when you if it's an immediate thing, yeah, it's just her smile. It was a thing that I uh, I it was probably my first seeing her in person. That was the first thing I noticed. I mean, there's so certainly her her overall uh, beauty, and then as I got to know her, certainly you know her the way she is. But the first impression was this beautiful smile, and it, I guess it told me two things. It told me. One, it made me feel so warm inside to see somebody who was at that moment, and like I said, it was American Music Awards, was enjoying life, or at least that was the the illusion of it, was that she was really enjoying life at that point. The other thing was, I think I, I felt personally like I always wanted to see that smile. And so whether it was because it was a bad joke I told, uh, whether it was because of a, of a song she heard that she liked. I remember playing her, we were talking about this the other day, uh, Terry and I, but we were talking about when we played What Have You Done For Me, or what ended up becoming What Have You Done For Me Lately. And that track was originally for a Jam and Lewis album that, that we, we were going to do uh, back, in, back in like 85. And I remember we played the track for John McClain for our album. And he said, oh, I need that for Janet's album. And we said, John, that's our, our, our track. And he said, no, no, I need that for Janet's. And I said, okay, well, I'm going to play it for her. And if she likes it, she can, she can have it. And I remember she came to the studio. I remember I didn't tell her I was going to play it. I just put the track on. She was out in a hallway. Remember she came, started leaning on the door. She kind of leaned on the door. She started nodding her head. And then she looked at me and she gave me what, I, you know, we call the, uh, like the nasty face, like just the, like the funk face, like when something's just so funky and you just kind of get this, your face just kind of scrunches up. She gave me that face. And then when it went into the little bridge section, she turned around and looked at me and just got the biggest smile on her face. And I just thought, okay, we're losing that song. That's not going to be our song anymore. <laughs> and when it went off, I just said, she said, who's that for? And I said, well, you, if you want it. And she said, oh, I want it. And it was like, oh, okay. So, <laughs> so when I say it's the smile, I just think that for me, seeing the chance to see that smile 
in in many ways. You know, whether like I say, it's a song that she she particularly likes, or uh, you know, whatever that is. To me, I guess that's that's my first thought about her when I when I think about her, just as a as a kind of a flash moment. Is I want to see her always smiling. I want to see her always happy. And if some way we can contribute to making that happen then that's what we want to do. And, and fortunately, we've had a chance to do that over, you know, like I say, 30 years of, of time. Uh, we've seen a lot of smiles, and it's a... What are you hoping to see at the induction ceremony, uh, Jimmy? Like, is there something specific you're hoping? Because, like, how does that work? Actually, you're, you're going to school me on this. How much say does Janet have in what she wants kind of to happen? That's a great question, and, I, and, and I'm not schooled in it. Um, oh, okay. Other than watching it on... <laughs> Other than other than watching it on TV, you know, I'm not a member of the committee. I'm not, uh, you know, so I'm just kind of a watcher. I know people on the committee, but then I I would guess she would have some say so over you know what she she would like to see, and I know that, um, but I haven't really thought about what I would like to see. I think I'm still in the moment of happy that you know it happened, but I know whatever. You know, whatever she comes up with, I know it's going to be amazing and it's going to be a show stopping moment as, you know, most things she does are. So, but I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I, I haven't, I haven't really thought about it, honestly, you know, like what, what would be the cool thing to see, you know, at the induction, but, you know, I'm sure at some point there'll be, you know, a phone call or there'll be, you know, something where, you know, some ideas are being discussed and, and that, and I look forward to that, you know? Yeah, that that'll be, be cool. That would be great. I can't even yeah. imagine who's going to get to, like, do their part to sort of introduce her, like, uh, to, to get to sort of induct her. I, I, I'm sure she gets to pick who that person's going to be. And uh, there just right. seems like there's so many great choices. I, I can't even imagine, like, where she's going to start to sort of cull the list down. Um, but, yeah, you know what would be cool is I, I somebody jumps to mind would be Pink. I think that would be awesome if Pink would, was in the, in the running for that or someone uh, someone like her, just who's clearly been influenced by her and has continued to do her own thing and, and is such a successful artist in her own right. I think that's, that would be awesome. Awesome. And I, I know that you and Janet and Terry are also humble about all of your accomplishments, but I also just wanted to ask you, um, how does it feel, Jimmy, knowing that this is finally happening? Like, where does it feel in your heart? And, and maybe even if you could speak a little bit about what Janet's probably thinking, even though I know, again, she's extremely humble. Well, I mean, for us, I mean, I, I think just, I think we, we did our job. When, when people ask me what a record producer does, I say that I, what a record producer is supposed to do, as far as I'm concerned, is make the artist the best they can be. Like a coach and a basketball player, or, you know, there's a lot of uh, different analogies. But it's really about making the artist the best that they can be. And so, to me, it's maybe a little bit of validation that we did our jobs well. The interesting thing is, it never felt like a job. It always felt like, um, and, and not to over harp on the word, it just felt like inspiration. It was like, wow, I, you mean we get to wake up and actually help write a Janet song or help produce a Janet song? It's like, that's amazing. And to be able to do that is such a blessing. So I, I feel, you know, like, like we made a whole lot of choices along the way. And most of them turned out to be really good choices. But the best choices, as I alluded to earlier, we invited her creative participation. And that, to me, was when the breakthrough happened. When she realized that 
what she was thinking in her brain and the things she wanted to sing about and the words she wanted to uh, say, she was going to be given a chance to say those things. And that, to me, is where the breakthrough happened. That's where control happened. That's where Rhythm Nation happened. That's where, you know, Janet happened, Velvet Rope, all for you, Unbreakable. You know, that's that's where those things happened. Um, so, our, you know, I think that was a great decision we made right at the beginning that excited her and inspired her and I think continues to inspire her to this day because she knows she can do it. She just needed to be, have the chance to do it. So I just feel like we made, we made some really good decisions along the way. And, you know, this is once again, sort of the culmination of, of that on, on the music side of things. Uh, just two more questions before I let you go. Um, and I know you can't spill the beans on anything, but I feel like 2019 is not just about her induction. Um, are you expecting great things uh, musically from Janet for, for this year? And again, I know you can't spill the beans, but if, <laughs> maybe you can tell us something. <laughs> <laughs> I always, well, I've, I've learned this and it, it's a pretty easy thing. Um, always expect uh, great musical things to come from Janet. I think that's, that's a pretty safe bet uh, right there. And, um, but I don't know. I mean, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what 2019 holds. Uh, I think it'll be a, a, a fantastic year. I know there's, um, I know there's a couple things brewing that are really exciting. And um, I think the fans will absolutely love and, so that's that to me is what it's all about. Awesome. And uh, first of all, I also wanted to just congratulate you on the Peebo Bryson album and what a great job. I was so happy to, to have that album out. And, and what can we expect from Jimmy and Terry over the next little while? Are there things that we should be on the lookout for? <laughs> well, first of all, thank you for the Peebo uh, compliment. I um, Peebo was a record, as I, as I tell people all the time, it really was a labor of love. It was just something we wanted to do with someone who had influenced us. And also we thought that Pebo um, is represented really the best of R and B music of sophistication and class. And we wanted to bring that to, to today um, and felt like there was an audience for it. And there apparently is. Um, uh, so we appreciate the support there and, you know, a gentleman that's talking about, you know, love and respect and, you know, you know, how to treat a lady and, and, and all of those kind of messages that to me have gotten lost a little bit. Um, I think it's important that people hear that in any sort of relationship about respect. I think that's so important and romanticism and those types of things. So I think in, in that in that case, I, I feel really happy about about Peebo and and his success and and you know, his reemergence, because I just think it was, you know, once again, overdue, there's that word, but it was overdue to happen for him. So we're happy to play a part in that. Um, as far as Jam and Lewis, um, we're really excited about two things right now. Um, one is a group from Australia called Jacoby that we are going to be releasing an album on. They have a single that's out called Worry About a Thing. And it's available on all streaming services. We're going to get ready to uh, drop a video on that uh, in the next uh, couple of weeks. So you'll get a chance to see them uh, if you haven't seen them uh, live. If you do happen to hear of a band called Jacoby playing in your city, um, you should definitely go check them out. They're true musicians. In the days of, you know, we know about musicianship because we come from the, the Prince and the Time uh, uh, era. 
And uh, so anyway, these guys are super impressive as as uh, writers and as uh, musicians. So uh, we're excited about that. And the other thing uh, we're excited about this year is the Jam and Lewis album, uh, minus the What Have You Done For Me Lately uh, <laughs> stolen song that Jennifer stole from us, uh, will be making an appearance uh, this year with a whole lot of uh, special guests, including Janet, because um, we don't sing. Okay. So, um, <laughs> but uh, but no, that that uh, long-awaited album will be finally, I don't know who's waiting for it. I guess we're waiting for it since we started working on it so long ago, but we decided to finally hone in and, and finish it. So we're really excited about, uh, you know, the people that are on there and uh, the songs that are on there and uh, hopefully something that uh, people enjoy. Well, I'm going to hit you up already, asking you that when it comes out, you'll come back on the show. <laughs> oh, absolutely! I, I would be, I would be happy to do it. I'm, hopefully, the fans aren't getting sick of hearing me. Never <laughs> too, too much. Never, but, never. Uh, I, I appreciate it, and and you know, once again, I, I appreciate all the support, uh, Kelly. That you, uh, you know, because not only the support for Janet and for us and for all of the creative people in Janet's life. But also your support for the fans, uh, also in keeping them informed and keeping them up to date on on what's happening, and giving them you know sometimes people are fans and they feel like you know they feel maybe not ashamed of it but they feel like well they don't want to be too much of a fan or whatever and I, I don't think you can be too much of a fan I, I think when you respect what people do and if they inspire you and they you know their music makes your life better whether it's at the gym or whether it's, you know, in the car or whatever that thing is, you know, music is the divine art, as I call it. Um, because if I said to you, if I said a year, if I said 1984 or, or whatever, and, and I gave you a date, you probably could kind of piece together what it was. But if I played you a song from a specific date, you'd remember every, you'd remember the smell, you'd remember the, what you were wearing, you'd remember every possible thing. Music is the key that unlocks that part of your brain that you don't even know that's there. And that's what makes music so important. So people that promote music that are the people that really support the artists and support the creative people that do it, um, to me, it's divinity. And so I appreciate uh, you know what you do and your ongoing support of Janet. I know she appreciates it. And I know all your fans and all your listeners appreciate it, too. So I just wanted to tell you that. Well, I really appreciate that, Jimmy. I, I, I don't even have the words because you know how much I respect and, and, and love you to pieces. And I'm so grateful that you would you would say that to me. So thank you so much. And on behalf of the fans, I just want to thank you again for all that you do. And every time you answer my uh, Twitter messages or text messages to come back on the show, I appreciate it. And also, even though I know it's Janet that's getting inducted um, in March, I think that her team behind her is just as so much uh, a part of that as, as anything. And obviously, you and, and, and Terry are right at the top of that list. So congratulations on this induction because it's just fantastic and, and, and an inspiration to so many other artists and all of her fans as well. So congratulations. Uh, thank you, Kelly. That is, uh, again, Grammy award-winning producer Jimmy Jam. Make sure to follow him on Twitter and Instagram at Flight Time Jam. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us on the program this week. We always appreciate it. And of course, a big shout out to our guest, Jimmy Jam. My thanks as well going out to our producer, Adam Brisson, for keeping everything on the rails. And don't forget that you can grab our podcast on all the major podcast platforms like iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher Radio. We'd also love for you to grab all of our social media handles by hitting up our website, kellyalexandershow.com. Have an amazing week. You and I will chat soon. 
The Kelly Alexander Show.